Quick trigger warning, this podcast discusses sexual assault and abusive relationships. If you are triggered by either of these things, please proceed with caution. The sexual assault hotline is 1-800-656-4673, and the domestic abuse hotline is 800-799-7233. Hey babes, welcome back to Spiritually Connected, where we talk about spirituality, witchcraft, astrology, healing, the paranormal, and more. Today I wanted to sit down and talk to you guys about some things that I learned from a book that I recently read that I absolutely loved. It's called The Way of the Priestess by Sarah Coxon, and... I am so in love with this book, you don't understand. Um, Sarah talks about embodying the priestess um, and the divine feminine, um, even throughout the patriarchal society that we live in. Um, But before we get into talking about today's podcast, um, I wanted to remind you guys that I don't get paid for this podcast, so I have to be my own sponsor. If you like my podcast and you want to send tips, my Venmo is Greta Chapkin and my PayPal is GretaChapkin at gmail.com. If you're interested in supporting me and the podcast, just learning or just learning more about witchcraft divination and spirituality subscribe to my patreon for as low as 777 per month not 777 dollars seven dollars and 77 cents per month right but in addition to the podcast and the patreon i also sell tarot palm dream astrology chart oracle and aura readings if you're interested in any of those they're affordable and accurate if you don't believe me check my reviews um those are on my website which are in the links in all of my socials and linked in the description in this podcast episode with my socials. Um, but if you're interested in booking any of those, just DM me on Instagram at spiritually connected readings. Again, that's at spiritually connected readings on Instagram, no punctuation, no numbers. Now let's get into talking about embodying the priestess. Before we get into the bread and butter of this episode, I would like to give a disclaimer. Um, Connecting to the divine feminine is not a gendered thing. Everyone should connect to their divine feminine and inner priestess. I will be referring to women and men during the historical aspects of this podcast episode, but like that's for the reason that other genders are not really mentioned, as there's not much recorded history of the many other genders we now know exist. Um, Okay, now let's get into it. Okay, so this book is essentially about... Um, embodying the divine feminine, through, even though we live in a society where femininity is actively suppressed. And we see this through um, sexism, we see this through toxic masculinity, we see this through all kinds of different things, which I'll talk about during this episode. Um, I really liked this book as a whole because I feel like it gave a very good idea of like how to work through, like how to make effective change when it comes to healing your divine feminine and just healing like our collective feminine energy as well um I really like this one specific quote from the book because I think it like it really represents how I feel about feminism um whenever it's talked about in any sense Sarah who's the author says it's important for me to highlight that my personal experiences of misogyny and discrimination are not universal this is because I'm a white woman Black women, indigenous women, and women of color experience oppression differently. I'm also a heterosexual and cisgender. Those who identify as LGBTQ also experience oppression in different ways than my own. There's no such thing as one feminine truth. Gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic backgrounds intersect, and the patriarchy has a system of oppression that underlies many other systems of oppression, such as colonialism, racism, homophobia, elitism, and classism. I think that this quote is so important because often when people talk about feminism, they leave out the fact that people of color have 
women's issues so much worse, or people in the LGBTQ plus community experience women's issues completely differently. Um, it's not all just, like, cisgender, heterosexual women that experience this. Like, they have it probably the easiest out of all of, all of the women, um, and so it's important for me to acknowledge that when I'm talking about my own personal experience with feminism especially. I really like the idea, um, that she talks about in this book about having to undo our internal biases, um, and how if we don't undo our internal biases, fighting for equality between genders will not go far. We have to change our minds before we can change anything else, and we all have some sort of internalized misogyny sometimes, so it's important to recognize that in order to unlearn it, which I think is really important and a part of this book that I really enjoyed. Um, I also really enjoyed this part of the book where she says, I'm not here to blame men. First of all, it's not men's fault. We are all products of the system we were born into and continuing to play the victim will not empower women. We do not need to blame men to reclaim feminine power. That being said, men do have responsibilities to acknowledge their male privilege and use it to create change. There are many men out there who have abused the patriarchal system and used it to wield power over others and they must be held accountable. I really like how she words this because I feel like people have this whole idea of like every time someone brings up feminism people are like oh well I'm not anti-men well the thing is nobody is saying like oh I'm anti-men like I hate like people do say I hate men I say I hate men all the time but like you know like I, I it's it's a different thing and I feel like people have this false conception of feminism um and then she goes on after that quote to talk about how anger is such an important thing in movements like the me too movement and currently roe versus wade um how anger really is essential um we as women are taught to stay silent and not get angry because we're seen as hormonal or overreacting for every little like emotion that we express right we are conditioned to associate strong emotions with being weak when in reality strong emotions are what make us really strong um when we're in touch with our emotions, we are infinitely more powerful, and I feel like that's one of the main lies we've been taught throughout our lives, is that showing emotions is weakness. It's not. Everyone experiences emotions. It is the most powerful thing to be able to feel your feelings and not be ashamed about it. It is so powerful. Um, so that's the basis of what this book covers. It talks about um, ancient priestess energy it talks about um past the past of the priestess and good girl conditioning and all kinds of like addressing trauma which we're going to talk about associations with pleasure men that embody the divine feminine all kinds of stuff we have a really like I have so much written down for this podcast episode I'm so excited to share this all with you um but yeah basically Let's just get into it. First of all, I want to start off with the section of the book that's about ancient priestess energy, kind of history behind femininity and the divine feminine throughout many different cultures. Feminine energy has not always been devalued in the way that it is now. Ancient artifacts show evidence that in a time before the widespread of Christianity as a religion, women and men were seen as equals and women were worshipped for their divine power to give life can only women get pregnant and give life? Absolutely not. That's just people with uteruses. Um, I feel the need to distinguish that because, especially with the whole Roe versus Wade thing going on, people tend to leave non-binary and trans people out of their activism, which pisses me off. But essentially, women in ancient times were worshipped 
because they were able to give life, right? Um, they, they were not, like, <laughs> ancient societies, as far as we can tell through relics, were not too knowledgeable about the fact that there are more than two genders. So bear with me. I'm going to be talking, like, saying men and women a lot. Please bear with me. Thank you. Um, the strongest evidence of an ancient matriarchy that we have is on the island of Crete, um, a Minoan civilization, a Minoan? I think that's how you say it. If not, I'm so sorry. A Minoan civilization flourished there from 1500 to 1600 BC, and women were displayed constantly through paintings, pottery, and more artifacts um, from the Minoans at the time. The ancient relics were, that we can see, women were always in power, and men were never in positions of power. Do I think that the matriarchy is the way to go? Absolutely not. I believe in equality among all genders. Um, I think that everyone should. But it is a wonderful example of how gender roles have have shifted so much in society throughout the years um and so it's almost this idea of like people who have these internalized biases it's like if you were to go back to that time period it, it's all about what we're being taught and so you would have a completely different bias right and so it's really interesting to think about that um it's it's just a really good example of how gender roles in society have shifted so much throughout the years, proving that one gender really was never meant to be superior in any way, shape, or form. Um, after 1600s, because, like, after, after 1600 BC, societies in the Mediterranean went through large cultural shifts, and this is where we start to see an overthrow of feminine power. As more resources were being harnessed, a more capitalistic society arose, driving people to be more materialistic and take a more materialistic outlook. I found this section to be a really interesting commentary on the idea that capitalism tends to breed bias and oppression, so that's something for you, listener, to consider. Um... But yeah, by the 5th century BC, women were seen as second-class citizens in most societies. Women were constantly left out of the talks of democracy and had pretty much no political rights. I want to briefly mention that the poet Sappho, who was an icon in the ancient Greek world, she wrote poetry about the ecstasy of love and deep sensuality, and especially about love between women, which is interesting to me because, fun fact, the term lesbian actually comes from the name of Sappho's island home of Lesbos, um, which I think is really fucking cool. I'm, I love that fun fact. I'm gonna be saying that every single time anyone asks me for a fun fact ever again, like, every single time. Um, but the more you know, right? Like, her poetry went down in history as incredibly impactful among practitioners who work with the Divine Feminine, and I will actually be reading a poem by her on my Patreon very soon, so look out for that. Subscribe to the Patreon. Um, and yeah, I'm going to be reading one of my favorite poems by her. Um, there's overwhelming evidence of priestesses throughout history devoting their life and speaking to the Divine Feminine, whether it's Sappho... Um, I don't know how to pronounce that. I, it's Anihudiara, I believe, who was the daughter of King Sargon of Akkad, or Plithia, commonly known as the Priestess of Apollo, or the Oracle of Delphi. All of these women use their femininity to connect them to the source of the divine. The author of the book that we're speaking at, uh, about um, goes on to talk about the Vestal Virgins, but I don't feel the need to discuss them on this podcast episode as I feel their story goes against the points that I'm trying to make. In my opinion, if women are only given power while still being slaves to the system, they cannot be truly empowered, and that's why I don't want to use the example of the Vestal Virgins as women being empowered because they were still slaves to the system. Something I found incredibly interesting and wanted to 
like I, I went into like research after I read this book is the fact that initially women were the leaders of the Christian church. Christianity was originally this idea that the world was going to end soon and like judgment day was coming and women literally preached all of the sermons women held so much power in the christian church um but then that changed during the fourth century when a random dude named augustine of hippo showed up and pretty much erased connection with like any correct connection that christianity had to the divine feminine this man also came up with the idea that sensuality and sex as a whole is a sin that is still perpetuated today so basically all of these women who were responsible for basically founding one of the world's biggest religions ever were kicked out by some dude whose real name was Augustine of Hippo. His name was Augustine of Hippo, and he had the, like, he somehow told all these women, he was like, no, actually, you're wrong about your religion that you created, like, that you actually, like, perpetuated. Like, you're wrong, surprise. I'm sorry if there's background noise. Um, construction is being done by my house. <laughs> but yeah, okay, so recently, they, so later in the book, they go on, not later in the book, like a couple pages later, but they go on to talk about the Salem witch trials, um, which reminded me, recently I commented on a TikTok about the Salem witch trials and said that it wasn't a war on witches, it was a war on women, which is just the truth. People got very pissed at me, they were like, okay, well men got killed too. Personally, I'm a witch, in case you can't tell by this podcast episode, um, or by my podcast in general, but the witch trials took so many people's lives were rooted in misogyny despite the fact that men were killed as well the witch trials that happened all across europe happened because the feminine aspects of us as human beings was scrutinized because the divine feminine represents uniqueness and strength both of these things which the rich white men in the catholic church were not big fans of so even if men were killed in the witch trials it was still an attack on women not on witches um and that's all I have to say about that. Thank you. Um, so I that was kind of like the historical context that I got from the book. I loved it a lot. I thought it was really interesting. It actually led me to do a lot of my own research into Sappho's work and looking into the early days of the Christian church and all of the women who have been in so much power in the Christian church. Next, I want to talk about good girl conditioning and the patriarchy. Now, First of all, the author first introduces the idea of good girl conditioning during the first section of the book, um, when she tells a story about how she refused to be told no as a child about, like, an ice cream truck, um, and how her stubbornness was seen as a negative thing because of her gender. Um, the author in this particular book, um, her name is Sarah, in case you haven't picked that up yet, (laughs) um, says when she let go of patriarchal sexism that she found was affecting her everyday life, she, quote, found the bravery to leave behind the toxic web of inherited social expectations I found myself in, and instead claiming my priestess power, or claimed my priestess powers, and channeled them into a vocation of my choosing, um, which I really, really like that. I really like the idea of, um, breaking free from this good girl conditioning. Now, if you're wondering what good girl conditioning is, it's essentially this idea that women are taught throughout our entire lives, um, that we have to stay quiet, we have to not speak unless we're spoken to, and this is perpetuated through academia, through manners, like, like, quote, manner lessons that we have to take, like, all all kinds of stuff, right? Basically, little girls are taught to stay silent and to not be bothersome and to stay 
to stay good and to stay pure and all of this stuff and not do anything outside of the social norms. And that's essentially what good girl conditioning is, is we are bred as human beings to want to take up as little space as possible. And that's the idea of good girl conditioning. Um, a patriarchal system has to be shut down for our priestesshood. Um, this quote resonated so deeply with me because it truly does invoke the thought that women are only oppressed because men don't want to, or because when men want to feel powerful. And we're told that our creativity and our anger and our passion and our pleasure are, quote, too much to handle, so we don't figure out the power that comes in each and every part of having the divine feminine energy in you, which, as I mentioned before, every single person on this earth has priestess energy in them. Every single person on this earth has divine feminine energy in them. In The Way of the Priestess, um, the book, um, Sarah says women's survival was based on keeping the peace, not rocking the boat, and playing the good woman, um, which is another example of good girl conditioning. Women have been conditioned to be submissive in every aspect of their lives. We have been taught that we need to please others rather than ourselves. We are kept in our place by the judgment of others because we're so conditioned to believe that other people's opinions matter. But surprise, nobody's opinion of you should matter but your own. We're taught constantly to fight for others' approval, and so we often put each other down as a result of our own insecurities. As Sarah says, um, the judgments that we fear aren't the monsters that we think that they are. They're mirror projections, unhealed wounds, and secret desires. We tend to shit-talk people based on our own insecurities and personal issues, as well as our own deep-rooted desires that we're not really ready to accept yet. Um, are some people just shitty? Yes, but I feel like something we often neglect is the fact that there's a difference between just shit-talking for fun and shit-talking, or not shit-talking, and just telling the truth about someone and just being honest with someone. Like, those are very different things, and I feel like... One is a very severe part of the patriarchy, is, like, women bringing each other down. One is, like, speaking your truth is not a bad thing, and I don't ever want to come across as saying that speaking your truth is a bad thing, because it's not. Um, we constantly see, as well, how language is used differently between the genders. Um, one of my favorite ways to teach people about this is reading some them some song lyrics that I feel like explain this very well, and those are the lyrics to Taylor Swift's The Man. Um, in the song, Taylor Swift says things like, if I was out flashing my dollars, I'd be a bitch, not a baller, and wondering if I'd get there quicker if I was a man. Severe and toxic masculinity has been seen as so powerful because the patriarchy cannot stand the idea that those of us with feminine energy in us um, realize how much control we truly have. Women make over make up over half of the population, and somehow still through brainwashing, we are taught to avoid stepping into our power at literally all costs. I love the way that Sarah states in the book that we, quote, cannot take a break from this prison if we cannot see its walls, or cannot break free from this prison if we do not see its walls. Which reminds me that unless we work through our internalized biases and misogyny, we cannot move forward as a society, which is something that is perpetuated constantly through this book, which I really, really love. If we don't work on our internalized issues, we cannot move the world forward. Um, Sarah states in one section of the book called Why Strong Women Stay that, quote, as little girls, we are taught that asking for clarity is a sign of stupidity. And the last thing we wanted to be called was a stupid little girl. Women have a hard time asking for help because they do not want to be perceived as weak. This is, and we see this tie into toxic masculinity as well as toxic femininity. As feminine people, our intelligence will constantly be questioned. And the author states that when referring to 
Donald Trump's presidency, quote, the lack of consequence for his lewd behavior has sent a clear message to women globally. The world does not respect you. That quote hits so hard for me because it is so, so true. In this book, um, the author also mentions how academia is rooted in white supremacy, elitism, competition, and hierarchy, and I wholeheartedly agree. If you guys want me to do another episode about the biases and the fucked up origins of academia, let me know, because the school system is so fucked, and I've I've already done an episode about that, I believe. Um, I've definitely talked about it in past episodes, but if you want me to do an updated version on why I fucking hate academia, let me know. Okay, this is where things are going to get a little bit tough, so remember the trigger warning I put at the beginning, this is where it comes into play. Um, I want to talk about addressing trauma and how it helps us connect to our divine feminine very quickly. I will be speaking a little bit about my personal experience and about experience that Sarah has that she expresses through the book. In the book, our author Sarah talks about her experience with an abusive relationship and talks about how hard it is to leave one. She states, quote, he was like a drug. The more he pulled away, the more I wanted him, which I think is a good example of an unhealthy attachment. Go listen to my podcast episode on connection versus attachment if you'd like to hear more thoughts about that. I want to talk to a moment about, or I want to talk for a moment about how we live in systems that are inherently anti-uterus owners. We can even see this right now with the Roe versus Wade situation, and we can see this constantly through the systems that we operate under. I promised myself I wouldn't get too political on this podcast, but politics is an important part of my life as someone who has tried their best to be an activist for as long as she can remember. Plus, human beings should, plus whether human beings should have equal rights or not shouldn't be a political issue in the first place. If you don't think people should have rights over their own bodies, you would hate me and you're going to hate this podcast. This past week, I attended a podcast, er, I attended a podcast, fuck. I attended a walkout at my school where... Um, we protested the recent potential overturning for Roe versus Wade, which would not only lead to an abortion ban, but also limit um, things like condoms, birth control, C-sections, and other reproductive health necessities. And the fact that we even have to protest in order to get these rights is absolutely ridiculous. It says a lot about how the system treats women and Peter and people with uteruses as a whole, the fact that we have to protest in order to just have bodily autonomy. In order to have rights over our own bodies, we have to protest and we have to fight 24-7 just to have control over our bodies. And that alone, like, I could just say that, and that would that should be enough explanation for what I mean when I say that the systems that we live under hate women and actively try to oppress women, as well as other people with uteruses. As I've briefly mentioned on my podcast before, I was sexually assaulted on Thanksgiving a couple years ago. I don't want to go into detail about my story, and I don't have to, but one thing that I consistently get asked is why didn't you want the police to investigate further? Because I said no when they asked. I feel as though this book from the quote pretty much sums it up. I chose this because I had seen too many women let down by a judicial system that is rigged against its women. I do not trust that the system would protect me even though I was the one who was brutally assaulted. Similarly to a lot of marginalized groups, the system does not make sexual assault survivors feel like justice is being served. 
A rapist was our president for four years, and if that doesn't say enough about how our legal system sees survivors and issues like assault and abuse, I don't know what does. The police and the government do not make me as a woman feel safe or protected, because I've seen the damage that they have done to other survivors. Most rape cases that are reported end up in no action from the system, and most rapists are able to walk free. We are blamed for the way that we dress, or even smiling, when we are assaulted by others. And by the people who are in power, who are supposed to be there to protect us. If not investigating your assault is what you need to do to heal, don't investigate. You deserve justice, but the horrible thing is that the systems we live under will rarely successfully give justice to victims of assault. Our systems has, have failed us time and time again, but yet we still rise back to the occasion every time. And as stated in this book, most of our reclamation is healing our trauma. I also feel the need to mention that while a lot of the trauma I have discussed in this episode are major life-altering events, smaller traumas can affect us very extremely too and should not be put off. And I'm sorry that my voice just got quieter. I, obviously, this is a very traumatic experience for me and I have a hard time talking about it. And I want to talk about it because I feel like it plays into this podcast episode, but it is still a difficult thing for me to bring up. So thank you for being patient with me. Next, I want to talk to you very briefly, uh, not very briefly, I have like a page and a half written about this, but um, I want to talk to you about pleasure. Um, pleasure is a part of the divine feminine that isn't really talked about a lot, to be honest, because it makes people uncomfortable. Um, when we hear the word pleasure, we often associate it with sex, but we can find pleasure in other simple things in our lives. Our creativity is constantly suppressed by the systems that we live under and by hustle culture especially. Without creativity, not only can we not have pleasure, but we can't have new ideas and new discoveries. Hustle culture really is a product of the suppression of the feminine and how our society is devoured by the masculine. Now, don't get me wrong, masculinity and divine and the divine masculine are not bad in any way, but like I always say, balance is key. Um, we cannot live in an entirely masculine-based world and expect ourselves to be happy. Sarah says in the book, um, pleasure is a portal to infinite healing, creativity, and joy. So why should I away from it? Women have been conditioned to focus on their utility in life rather than their enjoyment of life, which I think is really interesting. It goes back to the whole idea of good girl conditioning and trying to stay like as small as possible and take up as little space as possible and how we've been conditioned to do that. And I find that really interesting. We focus on how we can be useful to others and we forget to love ourselves when we focus on others. Sometimes we have to stop being useful and just be and that is a part of pleasure that is often overlooked. Women's relationships with sexual pleasure is constantly ridiculed and it often feels like we just cannot win. If a woman wants to express her sexuality, she's slut-shamed, but then she, like, if we want to keep it to ourselves, we're called prudes, Men's are, men are raised, or <laughs> praised for sleeping around, and women are shamed for it, and this is just a well-known fact. Sex is such a beautiful thing, it creates life, and it can be a really an amazing way to connect. Of course, if you're being safe. Um, <laughs> but it's not something that should have such a stigma around it, and especially when we're undoing our patriarchal society, it's a super important thing to, to realize and to learn to embrace sexual pleasure for all genders and all people. The last thing I kind of want to talk about before my closing thoughts on this podcast episode are talking about men that embody the divine feminine. 
Um, Sarah says in the book, men and women both experience trauma, but women's trauma is heavily laced with 13, not 13, 3,500 years of oppression, persecution, and expectation. The suppression of the divine feminine 100% contributes to the idea of toxic masculinity. Divine masculinity and femininity are entirely intertwined, and we both, like, we all have both within us. Um, they need each other for the universe to remain in balance. The sun needs the moon and vice versa. And when boys are taught to reject, quote, feminine traits, um, we experience the suppression of the feminine, which throws the world even further off balance. Men who embody the divine feminine energy are often ridiculed, but to be honest, most women find feminine men attractive. Um, this has become more of a thing lately, um, but feminine boys are so beautiful, especially to me. Like, if... I, I don't like boys that aren't feminine. Like, that's just where I'm at right now. <laughs> um, look at men like Tupac, Harry Styles, Johnny Depp. These are men that embody the divine masculine and feminine, and that's why they're so attractive to us. It's because they have balanced energy. Now, there's a difference between men being feminine to get girls and men being feminine to explore themselves. And to be honest, I feel like men don't often realize that we can see the difference. Like, I can tell the difference between a guy who paints his nails and wears eyeliner for the approval of women and a man who wear, who wears feminine things and displays feminine traits because he's expressing that side of himself and because he really wants to. Um, if you're doing something for the approval of others, even if it's for the approval of women, you are not correctly channeling your divine feminine energy, and I just feel the need to throw that out there. It's also important to keep in mind that men do not need to be praised for doing the bare minimum. Men will repost one feminist quote on their Instagram story and automatically get so much praise for it, but that is literally the bare minimum. The bare minimum. Um, this is just another example of men being praised for what women are already expected to do, um, which we talked about a little bit earlier. I honestly could go on about everything in this podcast episode for so long, but I don't want to make it too long. So if you guys want a part two to this episode, maybe talking about the divine masculine next time, maybe. Um, but yeah, I've always felt that Tupac, um, who is one of my all-time favorite rappers, um, embodies both sides of his energy so well. And I want to share some of his song lyrics that have been heavy on my mind, especially due to recent events. Um, this is from Tupac's Keep Your Head Up, um, which is a song about... The, the struggles of women, especially black women. Um, but I just want to read you some of the lyrics. Forgive, but don't forget, girl, keep your head up. And when he tells you you ain't nothing, don't believe him. And if he can't learn to love you, you should leave him. Because sister, you don't need him. And I ain't trying to guess you up. I'm just telling how, just calling him how I see him. You know what makes me unhappy? When brothers making babies and leave a young mother to be a pappy. And since we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, and our game from a woman, I wonder why we take from our women, why we rape our women, why we do we hate our women? I think it's time to heal for our women, time to kill. <laughs> I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies, but keep your head up. Oh, that's my favorite song ever. It makes me so happy to listen to. Um, I definitely recommend listening to that song. If you're wondering if you should, you should. 
But just for some clothing, closing thoughts, by recording and creating this podcast episode, I hope that I brought some of you listeners a little closer to the the emancipation of your personal anti-feminine patriarchy, um, patriarchal views that you may have internalized. Um, one of my favorite quotes from this book that inspired this episode, The Way of the Priestess, is, quote, emancipation is the process of liberating ourselves from a system that does not love us. And that's exactly what I hope this episode inspires you to do. My socials are all in the description of this podcast episode. I hope you have an amazing day or night or whatever it is for you. Um, and yeah, I will talk to you guys next week. Have an amazing day or night. Blessed be.